0: Welcome back everyone for another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA. If you are interested in learning more about our organization, please go to georgiamta.org. Today we are joined by Grace Huang. Hello, Grace. Hi. Let's get started. Tell me about what you do and how you got to where you are today.
1: So I, I wear several hats. Um, one of my hats is I, I have a private studio here in Athens, Georgia, uh, and I work with pre-college and adult students of all ages and all levels. Um, I am also currently uh, in position at University of Georgia. So I, I teach pedagogy there, and I also am the class piano coordinator, and I also teach sections of class piano. So, in a nutshell, that's what I do at the moment. Um, How did I get here? It is a long meandering story. (laughs) So, uh, let me think for a moment here. I, you know, I got degrees in piano performance. Uh, My dad said, hey, it's time to go to grad school. Where are you gonna go? And you're gonna go and you're gonna get your doctorate. And I said, okay, dad, and I did it and didn't know what I was gonna do with that. Um, My professor at the time said, hey, it's time to start teaching while you're while you're in school i said okay let's do it um so i started teaching at a community music school um i had a ta as a class piano instructor and luckily for me i enjoyed my teaching experience i had no idea what i was getting into and let's just say that that got me from point a to point b which was one of my first Official teaching jobs outside of school, and then I somehow ended up in Georgia.
0: Hmm. Can we just
1: go back to the very beginning? It sounds like
0: your dad was fairly influential in you going to grad school, but did he play an important role in
1: you starting music? Well, my parents uh, had me start piano when I was five, and this is when we were living in Singapore at the time. My dad was working in Singapore, so I was there from oh, I want to say, I would say. Kindergarten through fourth grade. So I I didn't ask to play piano. It was just something that my parents said. Hey, you're doing piano. <laughs> I said okay. Um, or I don't know if I said okay, but I, I did it obediently. Um, and and you know, luckily I I enjoyed it. I don't think I truly enjoyed it until I switched to a certain teacher later on in my childhood. But that's another story. So, uh, but my parents were both very very much. Um, influential at home. You know, my mom would supervise my practice, sometimes from afar, you know, sometimes from, from the kitchen while I'm playing. And, you know, she did the, if she heard something wrong, she did the uh, from the kitchen. And so I, <laughs> I knew immediately I played something wrong. So um, my dad, you know, both my parents were very supportive of all the events we participated in, which were a lot.
0: Were they musical?
1: They are, there are no trained musicians in my family whatsoever, but I, I think, I think both my parents have a good ear. Uh, my dad, in particular, he's currently trying to teach himself how to play piano through YouTube. Um, well, anyway, <laughs> but but I think his family, there's always been a little bit of. Um, there's always been a love for music, and I think my, my dad's older siblings taught him to play some some more traditional instruments when he was growing up in Taiwan. I think my mom um, learned an instrument called the guzhen in, in Mandarin, um, so it was sort of like, I think, kind of like a zither. Um, so they always had some sort of musical background, if not actual professional training. So.
0: Sure. What what were lessons like in Singapore? And do you find that there are any cultural differences between teachers there and students there versus here in America?
1: You know, honestly, I I unfortunately don't really remember much of my experience in Singapore. I remember my first teacher, I don't remember my first teacher. I think I was in a community music school school. Um, And I I do remember the John Thompson method. That's what I started on was those old, um, the red modern course books. Uh, I remember something called the Fairies March. That was one of the first pieces I learned that I actually kind of liked. Um, I remember, you know, I I did, I think the teacher that I went to after that uh, put me in ABRSM. So I remember doing the associated board exams for, um, I don't remember what level, but You know, I got my first taste of standard classical repertoire there. Um, You know, when we moved back to the States, I was still pretty young. I think I was seven or eight. Um, Did not do ABRSM. I think I did things like Piano Guild and, um, you know, typical like GNTA events, you know, local auditions, state auditions, that sort of thing.
0: Sure. Do you remember what piece from your
1: musical studies as a child that you hooked on music? I think there are a couple. So the, the fairy, I wish I could remember the title, something to do with the fairies march or something in the in the John Thompson books. That was one of the few that I remembered. I also remember being terrified if I missed the B flat in there, because my mom would, again, from the kitchen, but, um, <laughs> but fast forward to when we moved back to the States, um, I switched, we switched to this wonderful teacher who was a, this was in Iowa, so Sue Hudson was her name, she owned a private studio, she taught something like 60 students, Um, and she gave me a piece that was at the Andre Previn, it's from the Andre Previn um, Impressions for Piano Collection, Uh, so intermediate level, and I think the one that that I played that really had an impact was the Parade of the Penguins. and I did give a presentation, I think, for GMTA once where I mentioned this piece because the piece for me was a was a game changer. Because before that, in Singapore, I was involved in some sort of competition, and I was given a piece by my teacher at the time that was um, even at that young age, I could tell it was way too technically challenging for me. Um, and I, I managed it. I did the competition, but I didn't I remember that feeling of not feeling not feeling confident and not really having that musical and technical grasp of it. I just didn't know how to how to express that. But when Mrs. Hudson gave me Parade of the Penguins, not only could I actually play it, but it was fun. <laughs> so it was the first time that, that piano was actually fun for me, it was age, you know, eight or nine. Um, and I remember winning INTA, I think it was a district audition with, that as one of the pieces and it had changing meters it had tone clusters it had dissonance you know so so I'm curious if
0: that experience from your childhood influences your teaching approach can
1: you reflect on that a little you know I think it really does um never actually really reflected much on that I think I think inherently it does it does affect what I what I give my students what I would I have my students um, would I allow them to have the freedom to to choose repertoire I mean I think we all do the same thing where we we allow the students to select but really we sort of have already curated what we think would be good for them most times um, I really I often ask the students to choose something that that really appeals to them because I'll, I'll always say here are some options um, You know, don't worry if you think it's too challenging or the opposite. I I, I promise I'm I'm choosing things that are that are your size. Uh, I just want you to choose something that you really enjoy listening to and that you would like to play. Um, And I try to let them have, like I said, some some ownership over what they get to work on. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question. Yeah, uh, a follow-up question is, what's your approach to a student that shows up
0: and says, this is my favorite piece. And it's obvious that it's way above their technical level. Do you encourage them to go ahead and start working on it? Or do you say,
1: no, set it aside. We'll come back to it in a few years. Uh, teaching language. Um, I think, you know, I, it depends on the student. It depends on the piece, of course. If it's something that's way too too over their head, probably. Um, I would suggest I would say, hey, let's let's work on a section of this, and then to help us get you really ready, why don't we work on this as well? Um, and I'll find a way to procure something that is probably more their size, um, but is it, of course the of a similar character, of a similar temperament, and, and something that still speaks to that you know student. So if a student loves Rachmaninoff that C sharp minor prelude, I'll try to find something that is a, you know, I always think of that Heller etude in D minor, that warrior song, which has, you know, large chords, is very dramatic, has a certain kind of dark character to it that I always think is a good predecessor to, you know, Rachmaninoff, Not Focus three number two. so. Yeah, great. That's helpful. Um, You might have already touched on this, but I'll
0: ask it anyway. Why are you a musician and a teacher? Was there someone who was
1: particularly influential in guiding you to this path? Why am I a musician and teacher? I think I would, even if I weren't a musician, I would end up as a teacher. Um, Somehow I, I love, I love working with kids. I think, um, I think my parents would say that even at a younger age, I think they noticed I really liked children and working with children. Um, So I think music or kindergarten or it doesn't matter what it is, you know, I I love working with students. Um, Who was influential? I think there are so many people in my life who were. you know, I did mention my parents and my dad pushing me. Um, He just expected me to go to to grad school and get my get a doctorate. but I you know, I, I mentioned Sue Hudson, who was one of my, my dearest childhood piano teachers who really had a huge impact on me in lots of ways. I mean, she drove me to competitions, she had the family over to the house. Um, there was a period of time where, you know, my dad was laid off from work for a couple of years, and she, my brother and sister and I all took lessons with her, and she we were on scholarship. We were just family to her. And then she, it meant a lot to me just how how much she cared about us. It wasn't just me as a student, it was just us as actual people. Um, I have so many pedagogy professors that have had a huge impact on me. And I, you know, Rebecca Shockley in grad school and, and Karen Krieger in undergrad. Um, I remember Professor Krieger, you know, I, I was student teaching a class and she was madly, madly writing notes while I was teaching this group, um, and later on, it was the, you know, there were notes like, "Why did you take off your, your suit jacket? You look more professional that way. You need, to, you know." And it, it sounds, it, you know, it, it, it made sense, and it, she was just really, really detailed about how to present myself, how to use the proper language, things I still think about and and learn from. Um, I'm going to try not to ramble too much longer. I think, you know, and, and of course, performance, you know, besides Mrs. Hudson, my undergrad, my grad school teachers, everybody had a, had such a huge influence in in some way or, or the other. You know, and one thing that really st- struck me um, after I started teaching was um, when I did get, get to meet Marvin Blickenstaff once, um, we had him as a guest for when I used to work for Ohio MTA, um, and we had lunch afterwards, and I always remember he told me, he always talked about basically what Francis Clark says, which is preventive teaching. You know, he was talking about how important it was to to introduce your students to something new in the lesson so that the student had the tools and the confidence to to practice at home self sufficiently. And I, I think those little tidbits from him and from other teachers I've watched in the past have really had a huge impact.
0: What are some of your favorite
1: memories as a teacher some of my favorite memories um surprisingly during this past year of covid uh i got to meet so many studio family pets uh <laughs> there's always so many cats so many students have cats that like to to join in on the lesson who crawl across the screen who sit on the bench and do not let me see my students hands um dogs, younger siblings, it's just it's kind of fun to get to know the student outside of the outside of the studio. Um, so kind of a perk I hadn't expected. Um, you know, I have when I was teaching class piano at a at Milliken University, I have one former student in one class who used to cry. This is not a I, that's not the pleasant part of it, That she used to cry every time I introduced something new in class. And I think she was just, you know, she 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 was a she was a little intimidated by the new material and was a little overwhelmed. But the thing I loved about her was that she she never gave up and she always came back, always came back, having worked it out and was prepared. And and I loved her work. I think like I love that she yes, cry all you want, but she went home and she did the did the work and and her improvement was amazing. So I always remember her and admire her a lot. Yeah, sounds.
0: it sounds like an inspiring student.
1: She was, I think for me, some of my favorite memories are just as, as probably for you as well, um, you know, the student who is maybe not your star student, who they find a way to get it to work. And that that joy you get, I mean, on a selfish note, I get a lot of joy from seeing that, but I also, more importantly, I'm really happy for them because of the joy they get and the realization when they when they know that, oh, I, I am in control of this. I can actually, I'm maybe I'm not great at piano um, inherently, but I can get there, so.
0: Describe your journey as a teacher. How have you changed? Who or what have
1: been your key influences? My journey as a teacher. Um oh dear. Let's see. Let me think here. So I, I may have mentioned earlier that I um my degrees are all in piano performance. But, you know, my experience as a teacher, it just came from I feel like a lot of trial and error, same as for most teachers. I think we just have to learn on the job. <laughs> um, maybe we, we're all lucky to have wonderful mentors who who Guide us like some of the people I've already mentioned before. But um, I'm sorry. What was the the second question you were asking? Who
0: or what have been your key influences in in your evolution as a teacher? And maybe you've already touched on that by sharing your influences earlier.
1: Yeah, I think I, I think I probably did touch on those. I would say again the biggest one is just simply the practice of teaching. You know, I started out um, in as an undergrad student teaching one student. And I I still remember and I still wonder about her. She was uh, she had a terrific ear, um, really needed work on reading. And I'm, I'm fairly certain I did not help her (laughs) very well. So, um, you know, in hindsight, I would have done different things. But I You know this this is something that it's a learning process and so for me being a not very strong reader um and having worked with so many more students like that in the years since i think i really am trying to be more sensitive based on my own experience as a what i think of myself in terms of reading level and and really being able to sort of um i suppose again doing preventive teaching you know trying to find ways to to engage weaker readers in reading from the start so that they don't think about that they don't they don't they have sort of equal balance, a balanced diet, so to speak. Yeah, I think tagging onto that a lot of times
0: um, I find that my strength as a teacher comes out of my weakness as a musician and pianist, because I have struggled with a certain topic. And so I know how to break it down for a student, whereas something that always came easily to me, I find it very difficult to break it down for a student.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I always thought there were areas of my technique that were that were really lacking that I needed to work on. And so for me, I find myself thinking a lot now about beginner students and, and how to how to make sure that technique is is strong and that they have they have language for for that. What would you say is the balance between talent
0: and work ethic when it comes to determining success in a student?
1: Oh, I think I think that fluctuates. I mean, I I could say if I had to quantify it, I would say you know, there are days where I think it's 50-50. It's, and there are days where I think, oh, 80% is work ethic, 20% is talent. Um, I have students and have had students who, you know, had a, let's say, moderate level of talent. But it was that sheer hunger to learn. or And it was, you know, the parents who were willing to put in the time at home to support them um, that really made that student improve immeasurably um i'm trying to i'm thinking of a former student who you know the parents were were very very involved they they asked me lots of questions they um often asked me what they could do at home uh specifically any concrete examples you know whether it was you know having the student listen to certain pieces or having the student um, create a themed recital that he could you know give to others in the community, um, or even writing about music, which is something that he didn't learn how to express yet, you know, his thoughts in musical thoughts in writing, that sort of thing. So I don't know if that, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I think that leads really well into our next question,
0: which is what advice do you have for parents who have children taking lessons? How can they encourage and help them to succeed?
1: Well, I have, what advice I have for parents, I have several things I think I I try to do that I hope I'd like to be more consistent about. I do have a, I call it the piano parent tips, Um, so I have, especially with new students and parents that that come to my studio, whether they're brand new or if they're transfer students, um, I immediately offer the parents Um, A list of things that I'd like them to do at home, you know, and and I often remind them that they don't need to have musical training for this. Um, They're, you know, they're mainly there as a supportive cheerleader, so to speak. Um, They're there to make sure that the cell phone is turned off, that there's no TV next to them blaring, you know, Um, that even little things like making sure your child's fingernails are short enough, you know, And, and I realize right now I'm talking about my private Private teaching, of course. Um, I don't do this with my college students, but um, you know, I and I often immediately encourage the parents to communicate with me during the week. I'd rather not wait until the next lesson. So I do have some younger, newer students who the parents have gotten into a habit of sending me a progress video. You know, they'll say, "Dr. Grace, is this is this correct?" You know, and so. And then I, if something's not right, I'll say, "Hey, check out the second line." Ask, you know, Tom to tell me what what finger number is there. And then so there's a lot of back and forth communication. Um, this does mean that oftentimes I'm doing lots of extra texting with parents, but oh, but it makes the lesson so much better, and it makes the student feel so much better during the week, and they come here confident and excited. play their favorite piece of the week so i'm sure there are other things but those are kind of the biggest
0: yeah it sounds like your involvement with your students and and their family life and the, the communication with their parents kind of parallels your your own experience with your teacher growing up and really being part of um you know her adopting you as part of her family and viewing um, you know, you as a family member and always being present in your life and you're just carrying on that tradition forward with your own students.
1: I never thought about that. I can only hope to be as, as amazing an influence as, as um, she was in my own students' lives as she was on mine, so. Yeah,
0: yeah. That, that investment that she's made into your life is paying dividends. Do you have any books about music or teaching that you can recommend?
1: I do. Uh, oh, I was trying to think about this earlier. I have several. One, A couple of them are not necessarily specifically about music teaching. Although, well, I think they are about teaching. One that I love, that I've talked about in presentations, is Carol Dweck's book Mind Mindset. Um, I know Dr. Dweck has done decades of research about Um, growth mindset versus fixed mindset, and I think um, it's really, really helped me so much as a teacher, and it's really helped me with the language I use with my students. Um, I also loved um, The Talent Code, Daniel Coyle's book, The Talent Code, and he also had a smaller book, now I can't remember the title, but it was an offshoot of The Talent Code, Um, and the one thing that stuck with me with him was, you know, he had a blog article related to this talent code book of his where he mentioned the word yet because there were um, his daughter's school they had a movement where they had the word yet everywhere you know so for instance um, I'm not good at math nope I'm not good at math yet and just the concept of I can get there you know and 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 having a having that mindset that you you can work towards that goal and that you can improve, I think, was is, is huge. And it's not just that word. It's There are a lot of things you can say, I think, um, as a parent and teacher. Anyway, and then um, music-related books, I've always gotten a lot out of, um, because I do so much class piano and group piano teaching, Chris Fisher's Teaching Piano in Groups is a fantastic resource. Um, Robert Duke's Intelligent Music Teaching has always been one of my favorites. Um, in terms of music research. And then uh, Marianne Usler, she has these little, I don't know if you ever ha- saw those little books, I think FJH publishes them. And she has small books on different topics, like how to teach by asking questions, or uh, play it again, Sam, I think is the title it's something about the art of, of repeating things. But she has these great, great books with practical advice on actual piano lesson teaching.
0: That's fantastic. Thanks for that. Yeah. Tell me about your time in GMTA and MTNA. How did you hear about the organization and what has being part of this organization meant to you?
1: Well, it's been um being an MTNA, let's see, when did I start? I, I was I was a grad student and then I I think they still do this. There was an award that they award to students called the Star Award, S T A R, and I remember it, I think it, it stands for I some I can't remember, student teaching achievement award or reward or something like that. I don't remember, but it, it, it got me a year's membership in MTNA. Um, that was the perk of it. And so I started as a grad student, and then everywhere I went afterwards, the all the the, the several teaching positions I had, um, I was always a member of the local chapter. Um, I When I was in Decatur, Illinois, it was a very small chapter. So small, I think maybe there were maybe nine members in it or something like that. And so basically everybody took a turn having to be president. So it was my time one year. And so I, I sort of cut my teeth um, as president of this very small, but very active chapter in Illinois. And then I, I started doing um, some district chair roles, and I, I had the opportunity to be Northeast Ohio chapter president when I was in Ohio. And, and just getting to connect and socialize and communicate with other teachers has been a huge, wonderful lifeline. Um, and of course, I my students really like actually genuinely like being involved in a lot of the activities that we have you know in Athens we have one of the things that we have is the Sonatina it's not a festival you know yes everyone loves getting that participation medal um but having that performance opportunity and getting to see their kids play I think it's it's just been really great for my students as well um and I just I really appreciate getting to to workshop and talk with other teachers and just just get new ideas um, about learning and teaching in general. Here.
0: Do you have any advice for young musical professionals and teachers as they embark on their careers in interprofessional life?
1: Ooh, any advice um, for, you said for, for emerging teachers, right? Yeah, young professionals. No, yeah well I do currently work with quite a few grad students who are um, involved in pedagogy somehow and I, and I I feel like the one of the few things I always say is to to participate in in as much as you can as long as your your, your schedule allows it and as a student try to allow room for a variety of activities so you know I try to have students um, I try to have them think in terms of fewer boundaries. And what I mean by that is, you know, not just performing in a classical music setting, but also to perform maybe out in the community, whether it's on a public piano um, or just performing something that is not what they normally learn. You know, something maybe not from the standard classical repertoire, Um, to listen to concerts that are not just piano, you know, and not just classical piano to just participate in anything and everything in their musical life so that they, they're not only prepared, I think, in some ways as professionals, but also just so they have a really rich, again, balanced musical diet, so to speak. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but, uh, you know, there's another thing, and I, I've, I mentioned this for myself, you know, having to practice the art of teaching. Um, as my colleague... One of my colleagues had said, you know, you, you're you when we learn pedagogy, we're learning sort of how to it's like learning how to play basketball, but you actually have to play the basketball to get better at it. So, you know, to always just practice the teaching to actually get in there and do it and get lots of feedback, I think.
0: All right. Let's talk about getting lots of feedback. Um, what do you mean by that? And how, how can young professionals get lots of feedback?
1: I think finding them. Um, a mentor of some kind, recording yourself. Record, as much as I hate, I have to admit, I, I am not a fan of watching my own teaching or playing, um, or watching myself talk in general. <laughs> but, but, but you know, I, I really think students need to, and and even seasoned professional teachers need to. We just all need to record ourselves and and watch the playback. Watch a little bit and just see what what we're doing, is is it actually what we think is happening? Um, you know, what during COVID, when I was teaching an undergrad pedagogy class last year, I recorded several lessons of, um, be, uh, with a new student and of my own lessons because the students were not able to go to other studios and personally watch, you know, other teachers teaching. I had them watch myself. And that really was <laughs> eye-opening because I had to watch videos of myself teaching this beginner student, and I realized, oh, well, I hope my students are, are you know, picking out things that I'm doing well and not doing well, and hopefully they'll avoid what I just did, you know, in minute 28 of the video. Um, so I really think self-analysis and self-reflection is is hard, but so important. Yeah. Uh, this is our very last question, and it's very
0: similar to the previous question, which is what advice would you give to young pre-collegiate musicians about a life with music?
1: I totally agree that there's some similarities to what I was saying about what young emerging teachers um, can do. Um, You know, I think with my pre-college students and the ones especially that I'm thinking of who are really serious about music as their life and career, um, I mentioned getting involved in as many opportunities as possible. So that means performance on stage, out in public, in different venues, sometimes in very unusual, maybe, you know, venues, um, anything that sort of breaks down any barrier between performer and audience. And I mentioned public pianos, you know, we have um, I started the play on Athens public art pianos in here, and so we have, you know, ones that are outside the public library that students just play spontaneously. Um, I really want, I would want my own students to have, to have, let me think I can rephrase this articulately, but I want them to be able to play anywhere at any time if they want to, and I want them to be able to engage with a diverse community. as much as they can. And I want them to, you know, read about music, read about musicians, um, maybe even learn how to write about music. They can pick they can pick an artist they love, they can pick a piece they love. Um, thank you so much for that. Thank you for your advice to our young
0: musicians, to our young professionals. Thank you for chatting with me today. I enjoyed our
1: conversation. So I wish you happy teaching and happy students.